There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Smith. I'm here to talk about Burnley, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sports. Hi everyone, I'm Sam. I'm a Crystal Palace fan. You can find me on Twitter at Sam double underscore carp. Or you can find some of my ramblings on the Eagles Beak fan site. All right, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Uh, unfortunately, not a delight being a Tottenham fan at the moment. Last week, um, in making the rounds, I was asked how I felt about Pochettino. And I said, I think Pochettino has about a three-game run. Where if things go well enough, he'll be kept. If things go poorly enough, he might be let go. Obviously, it would be a shock if somebody heard you say that in the middle of last season. But... That's how poorly things have gone this one. In response, Pochettino mentioned that he needs time to rebuild the squad and that he's having to do it while the season's ongoing with both the Premier League and the Champions League and that overall Tottenham are where they were five years ago, which is when he first joined the club and kind of dragged us out of the AVB Tim Sherwood eras. Um, How much of the struggles at Tottenham this season are you putting down to Mauricio Pochettino? I think it's a difficult one, isn't it? I think... The, the baseline that you have to start with is that Pochettino has taken Tottenham to a new level. They're now regulars in the top four. They get to cup finals. They got to the Champions League final. These are all things that Spurs fans 10 years ago, they'd have ripped your hand off to get. Mm. Um, so to an extent, he's a victim of his own success that now Spurs are expected to be top four every season. Um, but there's no doubt that something's a bit off, isn't there, at Tottenham? Um I think he probably wants to rebuild in the transfer market. I think it was clear that the lads who were running out of contracts, Ericsson, Alderweireld, Vertonghen, I think if it was up to Pochettino, he'd have probably let them go um, if he was able to bring in replacements. So I think I think you can probably handle one or two players in that situation. But when it's two or three, and really important players like Ericsson's probably Spurs' most important creative player, and then the two centre-backs. Hmm. When there's such a big question mark over their futures, it's very difficult, I think. We've seen him leave out the three of them for some games, and then for others, he's played them all. He doesn't seem sure what to do with that trio. And it's um, been mixed results in both batches. Yeah, it's not as clear-cut as saying Spurs do well when the three of them don't play, and then badly when they play. Because then you could just draw a line and say, right, well, we're going to have to go in another direction. And Ericsson, Vertonghen and Aldevera, they just don't play for the rest of the season. And then they go on free transfers or we try and get rid in January or whatever. So I think it's been a bit muddled. Um, I don't think Harry Kane's been at his best this season. Deli Alley's obviously struggled for form for a little while. So there's two big players at the top of the pitch 
aren't doing very well there either. You've obviously lost Hugo Lloris to an injury of no making, let's be honest. Um, so there's been a lot of different factors at play. I think in terms of Pochettino, he obviously suggested that he was thinking about leaving before the Champions League final. So what sort of impact that's had on, had on the team and on the squad? I think that's really interesting because I think as a manager, once you've sort of put that out there that you're thinking about leaving, it's difficult to come back from that, I think. Um, and I also, I really believe in managerial cycles. I think in this day and age, five years is such a long time for a manager at one club. A lot of the players have been there for pretty much the whole time as well. So they've been listening to the same messages from Pochettino for all that time. I think unless you like an exceptional case like Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger, it's very difficult to last longer than sort of three, four years. In the modern game, especially, it just seems to be the case that managers leave all the time. So I think it's a shame. And Poch probably thought he could rebuild and the move to the new stadium should take them on to the next level. But results and performances this season, it just doesn't look like it's going to happen. So um, the next question for Spurs is how do you avoid being a club where the manager seems to leave every year and He's constantly trying to get out of transition. I think it's really difficult for Spurs. Um, and I think they, they need to think about being loyal to Pochettino as well. He could have gone to Real Madrid and he stayed. Yeah. So I think it's a difficult situation all round, really. I don't think it's wholly his fault, but I think he could have handled certain situations better. Yeah, I mean... Echo a lot of what um, what Jamie said there. To be honest, I mean, first I, I disagree with Pochettino's sentiment that Spurs are back where they were five years ago. I mean, when he when he took over, Spurs were in the Europa League. Um, they're now regulars in the top four at one of the best stadiums in Europe and probably the world. So um, to say where they are where they were five years ago is, uh, I think that's a bit of an over exaggeration. But I think as Jamie kind of pointed out, it's worth remembering that Spurs have overachieved since he arrived um as i said they've become an established part of that top four when really they've not had any right to they've they've done it with a lot of players that they've bought through themselves rather than spending some of the amounts that you've seen obviously city liverpool um chelsea arsenal a lot of those that stay stay in and around that area that they that they've spent on players and i mean a lot of that core is still there you know you've got kane ali um Ericsson, Vertonghen, Alderweire, they're still in there. They're the ones that have contributed to that success. But, I mean, such as the nature of the Premier League is that if you don't start freshening up that squad um, and improve what you've got, then eventually you risk paying the price for that, which is what is kind of looks like is what what's happened this season. You know, there looks like there's a lot of tiredness, whether that's sort of mental fatigue, physical fatigue. I mean, obviously, Ndombele, Lo Celso and Sessegnon came in over the summer, but... I think, as as Jamie kind of alluded to there, there have been so many different factors swirling in the background that have kind of conspired against them and, you know, kind of stopped them picking up any kind of momentum. Um, I mean, the situation with Ericsson obviously hasn't been helpful. Um, He's obviously got other stuff in his mind, which is not great considering how reliant Spurs have been on him for, you know, goals coming from someone else other than Kane and that creativity in the final thirds. You've also got Deli Ali, who's been struggling with injuries and... I think Kane himself, to be honest, has looked like he's been in need of a rest since the World Cup last year. Um, and obviously so much falls on him if Spurs are ever going to do well. You've got Son as well, obviously, but there's so much reliance on those two at the moment. So, I mean, there's all that. And then you throw in the fact that 
this squad essentially, you know, they peaked last year when they reached that Champions League final. They've had that sort of four or five year spell under Pochettino where they've been achieving so much. And it almost felt like that final was the pinnacle for this group of players, even though they didn't win, which I guess is another thing that doesn't help the fact Mm -hmm. that Spurs have had this period of success, but haven't got anything to show for it, which will always be a stick to beat them with. But I mean, I personally don't, I personally don't see it as that much of a factor, but you know, usually when you reach a pivotal moment like that last year with the Champions League final, sometimes the squad does get pulled apart. Sometimes the manager does leave after that, but none of that seems to have happened. So you kind of you go from the euphoria of that moment, and perhaps it even becomes hard to motivate yourself as that same group again. So, you know, that's been kind of what's been most obvious for me looking in this season is that this Spurs team doesn't necessarily look as motivated as it has in the past. Um, so whether that's down to Pochettino being unable to get the best out of them, whether that's just the players themselves not responding to his messages anymore, whether it's all just gone a bit stale. I mean, I think that's probably the most worrying thing that, you know, the intensity, the pressing, the bite that Spurs have had in the final third in recent years just doesn't seem to be there. Um, so whether that's something you change by getting rid of the manager, um, getting in some new players, I think is probably the more the better best way to go about it. I mean, if you got rid of Poch, who comes in to replace him? I know that's always the question when you're thinking of sacking someone, but I think this case in particular, it's an important point because, you know, such has been his success um, that if Spurs, you know, if they were to look for someone to replace him, Pochettino would probably be the person that they want the most. You know, he's one of the most sought-after names mm. in world football at the moment. Um, if he were to go, Spurs would be able to attract a bigger name than at the time when Poch came in because of, obviously, the success that he's had. But, you know, I don't I don't think Tottenham are broken. Um, I just think that all of these factors going on at the moment are contributing to, you know, things going a little bit stale. But I think Pochettino has absolutely earned the right to um, to stay on. And, you know, it's been, it's been described as a rebuilding job, whether it's as serious as that, I'm not sure. I think it's more of a matter of having to freshen up that squad. And I think it's only fair, to be honest, given his success, that he has given the resources to try and do that. Yeah, personally, I have vacillated between the two. Obviously, the narrative typically goes to it's easier to replace the manager than the players. He has been very uninventive this season and has just watched the team perform poorly in matches, frequently not making changes soon enough, continually not playing the 4-2-3-1 that we play best in, although yesterday it did make a brief appearance before we just kind of messed with things a whole lot. Um, and then we're forced into a little bit of a different... Uh, formation with Ndombele going off with a groin injury in the half. Um, but again, citing the uh, it's easier to replace a manager than the squad, that's kind of not the case. Because as you both alluded to with all the contract issues in the summer and everything, you have Aurier who tried to move, but we couldn't let both him and Trippier go, so he stayed. Rose even had a medical at Watford, ended up staying. Jan Eriksson and Toby all in the last year of their contract. That's five players immediately that could be gone next year. So if kind of like where you were leading there, Sam, if you're saying that Mauricio Pochettino is probably the best manager that Tottenham could get, which he is, it actually seems easier to replace some of that squad. It already happened in the summer. You guys mentioned Lo Celso and Sessegnon and, and Dombele. Unfortunately, Ndombele, the only one that's played regular minutes because Lo Celso and Sessegnon both had injuries. Sessegnon coming in with one, Lo Celso suffering one on Argentina duty. Um, and there will be ups and downs, kind of like we mentioned with Jamie, that you know, you've had batches of great performances with the replacements, in air quotes, um, like the matches against Red Star Belgrade, then... 
we stick with the exact same lineup that went out and won four nil uh, in Serbia. Obviously, travel, etc. Asterisk. Um, but rolling out that same team is the one that looked so uninspired and, and struggled to complete passes against Sheffield United. And all credit to them um, because of all the success they've had this year. Statistically, the best defense in the Premier League, which is obviously an impressive achievement. <laughs> A draw with them with that in mind doesn't sound that awful, but draws kill seasons. We talk about it on this show all the time. We talk about it on the championship show all the time that the draw at Goodison with Everton, eh, not a horrible result. A 2-1 loss to Liverpool, draw with Sheffield United. It, it, the Watford one was actually just a very bad draw. But, um, but on the whole, I think it would be easier to get good players in under Mauricio Pochettino than it would be to get a manager in that's better than him. So um, as I continue to vacillate, I find myself more frequently landing on this side, that with the amount of players that are set to leave, which is horrible mismanagement of the club, by the way, that we weren't able to get any of Ericsson, Toby, or Jan to sign extensions. That's just insane to me. I assume Levy hesitated on paying 30-year-old center backs, and Ericsson always knew he wanted to play in Spain. He just didn't develop quickly enough and now just isn't good enough. That's a whole nother thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think sticking with Poch and seeing where it goes is probably the best option at this point. Even if things have gone stale, the squad could be what changes instead of who's sitting in the manager's chair. All right, we'll go from there into the company that Tottenham were supposed to be in this year, which is the title race. Obviously, uh, some of you may have heard Manchester City played Liverpool uh, today. (laughs) As we record, uh, Liverpool end up winning 3-1. Uh, match pretty heavyweighty, both taking some uh, decent shots, but it's Liverpool who were just clinical, scoring three goals from their five shots on target that win. Um, some VAR controversy, as always, because, you know, it was a match of football. But with the, the gap in the table and the fact that Liverpool won pretty handily today, at least on the score sheet, what do you think has been the biggest factor in that power shift from Manchester City with their back-to-back titles to Liverpool? Yeah, I think um, it's always difficult to go back to back. And City probably put so much into doing that last season. Um, I think there's a sense that the cycle there is maybe coming towards an end. Uh, Guardiola's in what his fourth season there. He doesn't always do more than three years. So uh, people listening to his ideas, I think similar to maybe Poch at Spurs. Um, I think as well, City have really struggled with injuries. You look at the squad and think... It's a very deep squad and they've got quality in a lot of areas, but it only took Laporte to be injured and that defence very, very quickly exposed. Um, Edison misses one game today and Claudio Bravo is just not really up to scratch. Should have certainly saved the third, if not done better for um, arguably the first as well. So I think injuries have been really tough. They've obviously got Leroy Sané out injured for the season as well. Sané is one of the best wingers in the world, so... They've had to deal with a few different issues. Um, in terms of Liverpool, I think it's all really coming together for them now. They've kept the same team pretty much for the last couple of years, made a couple of really good additions. Obviously, Van Dijk and Alisson were the two that really took them on to this level where they could go toe-to-toe with, uh, with City. Sorry, um, And I think winning the Champions League was obviously a massive factor. Cloppered had taken the team to such a high level that it was now expected that they had to compete for the league, they had to win cup competitions, and to be able to do that in the Champions League, the way that they did it as well with the comeback against Barcelona in particular, I think that really breathed belief into this team. Um, and I think if you look at the Liverpool 11 now that 
there isn't really a weakness. They've got one of the best goalkeepers in the world. There's two fullbacks are without doubt the best set of fullbacks in world football right now. They've got the best centre back in world football. The front three are arguably the best in world football. It's throughout the team incredible strength. Um, and I think the Champions they're getting League goals from the midfield team. three as well now. Yeah, they really are. Um, and having a player like Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain coming back, I hate the phrase like a new signing, but when you were without him for, what, nearly a year, and he comes back and he's pushing hard for a place in the team. They've got Naby Keita who can't get in the team at the minute. So they've got competition for places in these key areas. Um, they've got players who've been there and done it. You've got someone like James Milner who's won titles elsewhere at City. He knows what it takes to do it. Um, being able to put James Milner on for the last 20 minutes, half an hour of a game like today, he's got all the experience and know-how that you need to close out those matches. All right, Liverpool 3-0 no, up, but you still need people who have that expertise. So I think partly it's City are obviously weaker than last season. Not replacing company looks like a really fatal error for their title chances. Obviously, can't predict injuries, but they left themselves in a position where losing one player was going to put them in massive trouble. And that's often how injuries seem to happen. When you leave yourself a weakness, that's where the injury happens. So, um, quite unlike City in the Guardiola era, I don't think they planned very well in the transfer market. The sign Rodri is a very good player, but arguably not really what they needed. Um, and didn't address the weakness, which was then at centre-back. So, I think City have opened the door a bit for Liverpool, but I think Liverpool is just now the sort of fruition of the clock project is really coming together and everything just seems to be pointing in the direction of them finally winning a Premier League title. Yeah, I think it's just Liverpool have really got into such a winning habit, um, you know, on the back of that run which they put together at the end of last season, even though it wasn't it wasn't quite enough for them to to overhaul City given how much given kind of, you know, the quality that both those teams hit at the back end of last campaign but um i mean I, I personally wasn't actually sure whether liverpool would be able to keep that mentality mentality up going into this season i mean if you compare them to city like obviously the the way that city suffocate teams and the quality that they've got you'd have probably said that they're more likely to carry on with that um but i think today just kind of showed you know like clubs just instilled this this belief throughout that entire club you know there's a it's kind of, you know, we believe that we are, that we're, it was just a feeling that, you know, they believe that they're going to be champions. I think you get you get that impression from watching that um, both they and their supporters, both the players and the supporters, like very much of that, um, of that mentality at the moment. So, and I think it was one of those games today where you just feel like the cop is going to be sucking the ball in at times. I think you get those at Liverpool, whether it was that same fixture a couple of years ago with the 4-3, the game against Parser in the Champions League. Um, but I think what was kind of most interesting for me today was, you know, that in recent weeks it has looked a little bit like Liverpool just just about getting by at times. You know, you almost feel like there was maybe going to be a bit of vulnerability creeping in, whether it was, you know, that game at Villa last week, um, which was about just as just about as last minute as you can get. The Spurs game was tight. They went behind that one. Um, the draw at United, they weren't at their best. And even Genk in midweek was just a case of, you know, getting the job done. But today they were just they were so good that it showed they do have another level that there, there is another gear that they maybe haven't shown this season um, or haven't hit in every game. And in, in spite of not 
consistently playing to that. They're, they've now won 11 of their 12 games and are nine points clear. Um, and obviously it also highlighted, as, as Jamie said, the frailties in Sissy this season, which which weren't there last year. Um, I think I looked just now, they conceded only 23 goals over the course of the whole of last season. They've already conceded 13 this. Um, obviously Laporte getting injured, they just haven't had someone who can come in and fill that gap. And Fernandinho having to drop in also means they're missing him in the midfield as well. Um, it's important not to forget how significant he is in that defensive midfield role for them. Um, and it was also just a bit of a... I thought it was quite strange from Guardiola today. You know, he had Cancelo on the bench, Mendy not even in the squads, throwing in Angelino. Uh, it seemed like quite a strange decision. I guess maybe he thought in him and Walker, those two might, who are obviously quite quick, they might be able to combat some of the some of the threat of Liverpool's fullbacks. Um, but obviously that didn't really work. Um so I mean, yeah, it, City of course it, it's it's pointing towards <laughs> you'd be a brave man to bet against Liverpool now, but City of uh, you you can't write them off, can you? Especially not under this manager, um, and given how they fought back in the second half of last season. But I just feel like maybe maybe this time around things are a little bit different. You know, there's even a couple more teams in the mix with Chelsea and Leicester being above City at the moment, which I'm not sure anyone would have predicted at the start of the season. So. So yeah, I mean, whether City can rediscover that level will really um, will really determine whether they're going to catch Liverpool. Just because that's that's kind of the that's the bar that they themselves have set, and Liverpool are the ones now meeting that, whereas they're the ones kind of slipping off from it. Yeah, there's been mention of the injuries, obviously, which have definitely been an impact. Once they get specifically Laporte back, it doesn't sound like Sané will be back this year, but there've been some whispers that he could could make it. Would you expect at that point that City could at least keep pace with Liverpool and then are at least as good as them with that uh, in mind and then they just have have that gap and then maybe try to close it the rest of the season? Or do you think even with their best players that this year Liverpool are just better than City? I think it, if Laporte gets fit sooner or later, I don't know what the latest is on him. I don't know what the timescale is. But like Sam says, that means Fernandinho can then move into midfield. Um they should look a lot more solid. Um, obviously, we've seen City did it last season. They're real Liverpool in. I think it's worth pointing out that Liverpool did open the door a bit. They dropped points in games where they really shouldn't have. Um, there was a Leicester game where they should have won. Uh, they didn't win at Everton, did they? That was a draw as well. So There was games where they shouldn't have dropped points. They'll probably learn from that and try not to do it again this time out. But... If City get going, they can be formidable. Um, a player like Kevin De Bruyne, I think, is capable of almost winning league titles on his own. He was really poor today, I think, Kevin De Bruyne. I can't imagine Agreed. he's going to have matches like that regularly this season. So if De Bruyne can get back to the level that he was showing at the start of the season, if Laporte gets fit, I wouldn't want to write City off at this point, put it that way. I think it, it looks like Liverpool's to lose, um, but... There's going to be so much pressure on that team if City can put pressure on as well. The fact that it's the first title of the Premier League era, the fact that they haven't done it in so long, they don't have that many players that have got title-winning experience apart from players like Milner. I think it's going to be difficult. I can't see them winning the league by 10, 12 points or something. Um, but I think Laporte getting fit is really the key for City. Yeah, I think um, personally, I think if say roles reversed and City were the ones that were nine points clear, you'd be saying, absolutely, you know, they're going to go on and win this title. Yeah. Um, 
but I think you know there's so there's so so much that's going to happen there's in the in the next sort of five six months or whatever it is um and let's not forget the fixture list coming up with the trip to Qatar for the Club World Cup um the Christmas period they're going to pick up injuries and that um it's just it happens to every single team um during that period just given the congestion and you know the players are only human after they're going to pick up knocks um and it will just be a matter of you know I think once you get through that congested fixture fixture period over Christmas, I think we'll have a much clearer picture of how this is going to pan out. If Liverpool is still, say, six, seven points ahead, then you'd say absolutely they should. It's absolutely theirs to lose. But I think if they come out of that city, have reeled them in a little bit, and Liverpool maybe have picked up one or two injuries, then things will start to get really interesting. Um, and, yeah, you know, I think... Let's not forget um, one injury to someone like Virgil van Dijk could go a very long way to deciding this title. So mm. I think once City start getting those players back fit again as well, um, you'll start to see them sort of hit, hitting that same form. Because if, if I think if anyone else had the number of injuries that they have to some of those key players, would be describing it as a crisis maybe. But given the strength of their squad, I think that's probably people have probably refrained from describing it as that as that so far. Yeah, this is Champions League factoring as well. Obviously, mm. it gets really tough around the knockouts next year. So February, March, when you're playing these intense two like Champions League knockout games, it's really difficult to manage a squad through that period as well. So that's a period where Liverpool could drop points if they've got difficult matches either side of trips to whoever in the Champions League. So I don't think City will be discounting themselves right now, but yeah, it, it is looking like Liverpool would be very difficult to stop this season. Yeah, although that's a very good point um, about the injuries. Liverpool, despite like the Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain injury, you mentioned Jamie and then obviously Joe Gomez for a lot of last season, they haven't really suffered any major injuries to key players. Oxlade-Chamberlain's injury was like weeks after he signed, if I recall. Um, in that January move uh, from Arsenal. Um, so, yeah, the, that's something they haven't really had to deal with. And, again, Jamie, as you mentioned, that could really, you know, unwind very quickly if it's during that Champions League period, although you would assume that they would be targeting the Premier League more than they would over the two legs of the Champions League, considering they got that last year and, obviously, the fan base crying out for uh, the the domestic league trophy. But time will tell. But, yes, I, I do think injuries have been a very significant factor um, both for and against either side of this divide. All right, we will wrap up talking about the international break uh, and how it will impact our sides. Is this coming at a good time for your teams, or are you frustrated uh, that it might disrupt something that you've finally gained? I think it's a, it's a bit of both for Burnley. There's a couple of players that have been out who might get fit over the next couple of weeks. So Gunmonton's been out for a little while. Danny Drinkwater, who still hasn't played for us uh, these two weeks, could help get him fit. So I think that's the the plus point. Um, but I don't think you ever really want the break after a big win, do you? So I think we quite like to, to have another game next weekend, having stopped the losing streak, got a good result on Saturday at home to West Ham. So I think there's pros and cons. I think the, the good thing is that it's the last one for a while, isn't it? So... No more international breaks until, what is it, March after this one? So I'll be quite glad to get it out of the way. I can't be doing with the international breaks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on, on the other side of that coin, I mean, I, I personally hate the international breaks as well. I think they're boring as anything. But 
uh, for us, I'm absolutely delighted that the international break has come around now. You know, we've <laughs> lost three of our last four. Um, those games being against City, Arsenal, Leicester, Chelsea, and then obviously we've got Liverpool after the break as well. So it's unlikely to get any better. But I think it's just, you know, giving ourselves a break from that rut. I mean, it's been so sort of demoralising, confidence sapping. Um, it's, but I think despite the fact we've lost most of those games, drawn that one against Arsenal, I think it's just taken a lot out of the squad. Um, as you know, playing that quality of opposition week after week is going to when you're chasing the game so much. So I think I think the international break will be good for us in the sense that it will give a chance for players like maybe Zaha, who's been off his best this season, you know, maybe try and get his head right a little bit again, hopefully come back with... Uh, a little bit more motivated. Uh, Joel Ward got injured yesterday, who is our only right back. Um, so it would be helpful if he somehow managed to recover from that, what looked like a groin strain. Wouldn't it be crazy if you yesterday. just didn't replace Juan Basaka? <laughs> well, <laughs> it was crazy when we didn't replace Juan Basaka, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, so yeah I've, I've, got, I've got absolutely no complaints about the international break being when it is. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed for us. We'll just we'll come back from that a little bit more refreshed and ready to try and get what we can from that game against Liverpool. Yeah, for Tottenham, it's another time heading into the international break off of a not win, um, which isn't encouraging. What I was most worried about immediately after the match yesterday was this is obviously as people always bring up with clubs in dangerous positions a pretty good time if you were going to make a change to your manager. You'd get the two weeks. Um, to find your person, get them in, maybe even get them into some training sessions before the next match. And with it being early-ish November, you could come in, assess the squad through the busy winter period, know who you want to get rid of, know what positions you'll need to bring in. Um, I don't think that'll happen. But that was what I was first worried about when I knew the international break was on the other Mm -hmm. side of that draw with Sheffield United. Um, Beyond that, it's probably a good thing. Uh, the last time all the players went off on international duty, they came back with a little bit of more pep in their step, um, not just constantly under this heavy pressure of why aren't we as good as we were supposed to be? Why aren't we as good as we were last year? Um, I just think there's a lot of internal pressure. And also, I don't know if you guys remember this, but there are cameras in the locker rooms all the time right now because <laughs> we're going to be on a TV show that I will watch and hate. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> On the whole, I think it's good to just get away from all of those situations. I think Potts and the players probably need a little time apart right now. I can't imagine either group is particularly happy with the other. Um, so on the whole, it's definitely a good time. It would have been worrying if I thought Potts was about to be sacked, because uh, now it would be a good time, calendarily speaking. Um, but on the whole, I think it's it's definitely a good one for the club. And then hopefully we can come back with a little fire lip beneath us uh, before we face West Ham in that London derby. All right, now we will take a quick break and we'll be back with questions for each of our guests. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information, 
information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, Jamie, we'll start with you. I'm not going to ask you about Dwight McNeil. I'll ask you about a different oh, attack. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. First of all, I forgot to say future Ballon d'Or winner Dwight McNeil, but TM. Um, <laughs> but uh, a different attacker for Burnley, Chris Wood, uh, was just signed to a long-term contract this past week, signed through 2023, pops up with a goal at the weekend to celebrate the new contract. How important was it for Burnley to get him tied down long-term? I think it was important. Um, he's probably not the sort of player who's going to be massively in demand, but I think it's always good to have your important players tied down long-term. So the fact that we were able to do that and actually Barnes signed a new contract in the same week, um, it just made the headlines easy, didn't it? Both players scoring off signing a new contract. So um, I think Chris Wood has really sort of won people over this season. Um, after he joined from Leeds, there were a lot of questions. I wasn't sure about the signing. When you sign players from the Championship, you're never sure if they're going to make the step up. Um, and he took a lot of criticism, Chris Wood. He's offside a lot. I think he's been the most offside player in the Premier League since he joined us. Um, and our fans, for some reason, hate players being offside. It just seems to be one of the big bugbears. It does seem to be um, a super anti dice thing to do. Yeah, I think it is. I think he's just offside a lot because he's not that quick. So when he's playing on the shoulder, he has to try and go a bit early. Um, so I think it just comes down to that, really. But he's missed a couple of games recently, and I think that's really... Often you you learn the value of the player when they're not there, don't you? And I think that's what's happened with Chris Wood. Um, he missed those couple of games. We didn't really have the same the same attacking platform. We weren't linking up well. Bonds and Rodriguez didn't really work out as a partnership, uh, whereas Bonds and Wood play together really well. They seem to have that understanding um, when one drops deep, one will go in behind, and they always play very close together, and that's very effective for our attacking. Um, so, yeah, Chris Wood, really important. So stats today that only Sadio Mane, of all people, has scored more headers in the Premier League this calendar year than Chris Wood. He's got five, and he had one ruled out this weekend for a VAR offside that was correct, but marginal, really. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, It was one of those where no one had really appealed for it, but because they check everything, they saw it was a little bit offside. Um, So, yeah, I really like Chris Ward, actually. Having been a bit sceptical when we signed him, it was quite a lot of money, sort of £15 for a player who had never played in the Premier League. But I think he certainly won everyone over now. Um, and a player that we can count on to score goals regularly. And when you're a club like Burnley, that's 
massively important to get. We can't go out and buy these ready-made players. We've had to bring in Chris Ward and polish him up a bit, and he's certainly good enough to play for us now. And Yeah, I'm really happy that he's going to be playing for us for a good few years to come. Yeah, you mentioned not a whole lot of people would be looking after his signature, but he's already on pace for a double-digit season again. I mean, surely that's the kind of player that Southampton would look to when they have striker issues forever. Yeah, I mean, I think it's partly, I don't know if it's Burnley's style or whatever, but our players just don't seem to to get that sort of attention. Unless you're like a Michael Keane, where he was obviously too good for us at that time and we got relegated, he was obviously going to get picked up. Um, when it's a team that's not really full of stars, it's all about the collective for Sean Dyche. I think that contributes to players not really being in the spotlight. So even at the start of the season, Barnes had that run. He scored in the first few games and he scored at the back end last season. And there's a bit of thought that people were sort of coming round to Ashley Barnes. He's more than just a bit of a, a rough guy who's going to like nick a couple of goals every now and again. And people were learning that he's actually got technique and can score good quality goals as well. Even then, there was no like talk that someone was going to try and buy Ashley Barnes. Um, and yeah, he's, uh, he picked out of Southampton, but they spent all that money on Shea Adams. Who so you also absolutely... wanted, in theory. Yeah, we we tried Stan Adams before, so I think it's interesting you think about what sort of a club would be a step up for someone like Chris Wood. Southampton wouldn't be a step up. Anyone in the bottom half of the table, now you could argue, wouldn't be a step up. All right, Spurs are in the bottom half, but the clubs that you'd expect to be in the bottom half, why would you go to one of those when Burnley have going to be in the same sort of situation so I think it's a couple of things it's difficult to maybe stand out individually in our team unless you future Ballon d'Or winner Dwight McNeil and also mm. uh, I think it's um, I think we've been quite good at managing contracts and things like that so our players tend to be tied down I think Jeff Hendricks the one at the minute where he is running out at the end of the season so yeah I mean touch wood it, we just don't seem to be the subjects of a lot of transfer speculation. I'm not sure exactly why that is. Interesting, for sure. At the other end of the pitch, Burnley haven't been as good as I think neutrals would expect you to be tied for 15th in goals allowed thus far this season. Are you surprised by that? Yeah, a little bit. Um, we changed the fullbacks this weekend, so we brought in Bardsley and Taylor for Lawton and um, Peters which I think was a change a lot of fans have been looking for for a while. Um, Lowton made a bad mistake against Chelsea and Peters hasn't looked as good as, as when he first came in. So I think that was a positive change. Um, the goals conceded tally, is, it's it's not false, but I think it's you've got to take into account that we conceded four at home to Chelsea. That can just happen. Um and some really poor goals to give away there as well. When we played Liverpool, it was similar. It was sloppy play from us, really. Um, but you're right, it is a bit unexpected because you expect Burnley to be more solid. So the fact that we got the clean sheet against West Ham, who were absolutely abysmal, um, hopefully that gives us something to build on because uh, Tarkovsky, I don't think he's had a very good season. Ben Mee's made quite poor errors at times, so... Maybe the international break is a good time to work on those defensive sort of fundamentals again and get back to being the Burnley that 
we love and everyone else hates because we're so horrible <laughs> to watch. Also, do you think the fact that the midfield has been a little bit less um, talented this season yeah. be a factor here that they aren't shielding the back line as much as they have in the past? I think, yeah, it's definitely that. I think the start of last season, it was the same issue. Um, that because we play the four four two, it does mean that we can be quite exposed in central midfield at times. Um, Jack Cork and Ashley West will cover an awful lot of ground, but if they both go at the same time and we lose the ball, they're just not going to get back because they're not superhuman sprinters. So I think there has been a bit of a lesson in those two needing to be a bit more careful about when they push forward. Another change to the team that we've made, which was enforced through good months being injured, was Hendricks being on the right of midfield, which I think helps because he tucks in, he's quite tactically intelligent, he knows when to provide a bit of cover. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we'll get a few more clean sheets, because that's the, the the building block of any sort of success in this league. I think we're still in the top half after the rest of the results this this weekend, so that, that's got to be the target for me, and it's not going to be possible if we're conceding the goals of the quality that we have been in some of the games this season. Yeah, and just to confirm, you are currently in 10th, so... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Um, coming to you now, Sam. You knew it was coming. We talked about it before we even hit record. Just the goal-scoring prowess at Crystal Palace, just abysmal. Only Watford have scored fewer goals than Crystal Palace's 10 thus far. We've we've already touched on it when you've been on before, but are, are there any solutions, or do you just have to kind of creep to January? As a team, you've been playing relatively well, by the way. Decent results, um, but... A recent slide, and then the goals just don't seem like they're coming. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it there. I feel like it's the only thing I ever talk about when I come on this podcast, um, <laughs> which obviously means that Roy Hodgson has been ignoring my advice. So maybe there's no point in me uh, passing on anyway. But um, but yeah, I mean, it just it's much the same problems. I mean, obviously there's not going to be a fix between now and January. I don't think. Um, again, as I mentioned, I think it just speaks to the fact that. Hodgson has been really let down in that area. Area, um, It's been clear for quite a while that we need a striker and we haven't done that. But I think more so, you know, places that maybe where Hodgson has perhaps let himself down is is that he has kind of created this team that is just, is very, very functional. There isn't much creativity in there, bar for someone like Zaha. Um, so I guess yesterday, the game against Chelsea was a prime example. You've got... A midfield three of Luka Milivojevic, Cheka Kuyate and James MacArthur. Three three good midfielders um, at Premier League level, but they're also quite one-dimensional. You know, obviously Milivojevic scores penalties, he takes a good free kick, but three of those, you know, you're not looking, they're, they're not goal-scoring midfielders. So then you look at other parts of the pitch. Um, Zaha's not been firing this season. Townsend's been in and out of the side. Uh, Jeff Schlapp's been playing as well. Neither of those guys are particularly renowned for going on goal-scoring runs. And then you've got Jordan Ayew up top with Benteke as the guy who's um, who's the only you know reasonable replacement for him. So when you look at it like that, um, it's actually a miracle that we have managed to score the ten goals that we have this season. So um, so yeah, and I mean I think it's just the way that the way that Palace play as well. And I've noticed it more and more recently is that. Some of the chances that we create, they're not the type of chances where you'd expect to score from. So because the ball goes wide so often, you're expecting Zaha to kind of, you know, pick up the ball halfway inside the opposition half and then 
driving from the left. Um, you know, what what's the likelihood of that happening? Uh, of the goal, of the goal, of the ball going in the net from that position? It's you know rare that you'd see a player played through on goal or just get routine chances that you'd expect a team to score from. Whenever our goals go in, it's always kind of you know either a penalty or being bundled in from the corner or whatever else. It's very rare that we kind of create the kind of chances that are likely to lead to goals. So. So yeah, I think it's a number of things. Obviously, not properly backing Hodgson in the transfer market in that department, but also just the way he set up the team to play hasn't really the way he set the team up to play just isn't really conducive to a team that's going to score a lot of goals. Yeah, uh, there you also mentioned Wilfred Zaha. I've seen his name thrown into transfer rumors yet again. Um, at this point, with Crystal Palace having stayed where they are for the better part of the last three plus years. Would there be yeah. any merit in potentially selling on Zaha? Obviously, he came back and reinvigorated everything after his move to Manchester United didn't particularly work out. But would there be some sense in moving him on and then redistributing that into a striker, into a right back, filling the rest of those gaps within the squad? Um, I mean, based on the way he's been playing this season, I'm not sure who's going to pay what we're, what we're asking for him because I can't see us lowering that asking price. But I mean, yeah, there is definitely an argument there. Um whether it happens in January, I very much doubt it. I just think January is very rarely a time when basically the January window is too short for you to kind of reinvest that kind of money properly. Um, I think you need, I think you need a summer for that, and it would probably be too risk, too big of a risk for Palace to sell Zaha without having a ready-made replacement for him. Um, but you know, there's no, there's, I don't, I just also don't see why there's any reason why we can't be bringing in someone capable of scoring goals while Zaha is still at the club. Uh, I think you saw it last year when Batshuayi came in for the second half of the season, um, and it just kind of showed, you know, the the impact of actually having someone who knows where the goal is. We went on this really good run. Um, one of the, I think, based on you know those tables that they throw out about who's in the top five for the last for this part of the season, I think we were sort of fifth in that. Um, so yeah, you know, whether it's whether it means selling Zaha, which might. Next summer might be the time, given the way that he's reacted to not getting his move this this summer just gone, um, possibly. But I think whether that's going to happen in January, I highly doubt it. I think um, there was an article in The Athletic today actually saying that Palace are looking to address that position, whether it happens or not, who knows. Um, recently tied Benteke down to another one year in his contract for some reason, so that might even uh, have tied our hands further behind our back in terms of the wages that we might be able to, able to offer someone. Um, so yeah, I think I think on that front at the moment it is really just a case of Palace fans just have to accept that this is the type of team that they are. This is how we're going to play while Hodgson's still there, um, and it is going to be you know solid at the back, hoping that we can nick one or two goals um, on the break and then kind of cling on to what we've got. So it will certainly be interesting to see what Zaha's future lies in. And indeed, the rest of the squad, and if you can kind of turn things around. But as I mentioned, you play solid football for the majority of the time. Sometimes it can be dull and, you know, unsharp. Is that a word? Probably not. And if it is, it's I not guess. a good one. But <laughs> um, you should use it, so. <laughs> so nailed it. You made that word up. All words are made up. Um, <laughs> fair enough. But anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes at Palace. And it seems like you aren't particularly blaming Hodgson for most of this, aside from maybe not utilizing the pieces that he has, but also admitting that he doesn't have all the pieces he needs? No, I mean, it's 
as I said, there are, there are definitely some Palace fans who think that Hodgson is underachieving with the squad that he's got. Um, personally, I think, like everyone would, I'd love to see a player like Max Meyer or Victor Camarasa play more. Both of them, as I said, out of the squad yesterday. So when we went 1-0 down, it was kind of, well, what's the plan B here? You look at the bench, you've got Benteke, who wasn't even used for some reason. Um, Schlopp came on. Um, James McCarthy came on. Uh, not exactly guys who are going to um, not exactly guys who are going to turn the turn the game on its heads. Um, so yeah, I think there's definitely an argument that Hodgson could be doing a little bit more, but he is very much a man set in his ways. Um, I'm not sure he's going to change his managerial style at this point of his career. So I think it's kind of shown that maybe Meyer and Camarasa weren't necessarily his signings in the first place. Um, but it also speaks to the fact that you know if you want to be part of a Hodgson team then you're going to have to do all those things off the ball which players don't necessarily like doing um, and I can imagine players like Camarasa and Maya who are I'd probably describe maybe more of luxury players you know those playmakers who um, certainly in a team that has a lot of the ball would be very useful but for a team like us who needs to break quickly um, spends a lot of time without the ball maybe they wouldn't be quite as effective which is probably why they haven't got, got as much game time but um you know, yeah, Hodgson, it's hard to complain about the job that he's done, given the position we were in when he took over those two years ago. I mean, what, we were bottom of the table, no goals, no points. Um, he's led us to mid-table last season, so, which I guess, you know, it's where you'd expect Palace to be, but maybe after seven seasons, you'd hope to see a tad bit more ambition. But I think as long as he's in charge, this is the kind of football that we're going to be playing. And, yeah, I can't really see that changing until he, until the manager changes either. Gotcha. All right, now we'll move on into player watch, where we'll just quickly discuss a player that's been a pleasant surprise for you this season, maybe outperformed what you considered their ability or potential to be previously. We'll start off with you, Jamie. Yeah, this is a tricky one for us, actually, because I think most players have been at a sort of similar level to what would be expected. Um, I think Jeff Hendrick's arguably been the surprise package. At the start of the season, he wasn't in the team. In the last year of his contract, I think most Burnley fans would have probably been quite happy to sell him and reinvest. Um, but ever since he joined us from Derby, he seems to have the knack of getting back into the team, whether it's by hook or by crook, he just gets in somehow. And he's taken his chance, to be fair. He scored a couple of good goals. Um, and I think the way this team is set up now where he's playing narrow on the right midfield, I think it is working. So, said earlier, I think tactically he's an important player. He does come up with goals from midfield, which is a weakness in our squad. So, um, he's gone from being a bit of a spare part, player that most fans probably wouldn't have minded if he'd gone to a player where everyone wants him to sign a new contract. And if we get Hendrik tied down to a new deal, I think most people will be quite happy. So, yeah, he's, he's done really well to, again, force his way back into the team. Yeah, for me, I'd, I think I've mentioned this before while being on this podcast, but I'd have to go with Jordan Ayew, I think. Um, you know, and he started, he was on loan last season, um, didn't really get a look in, uh, was playing second fiddle with Benteke for some of it. Um, even, I think at points, Hodgson favoured playing Townsend and Zaha up front instead of giving him game time. So, you know, when we signed him in the summer for 2.5 million, it was very much kind of a signing that was met with a shrug of the shoulders rather than anything else. Um, but yeah, I mean, he scored four goals, which for a 
£2.5 million striker is a good return. And for, I guess, any Palace striker in the past two or three seasons is a decent is a decent return as well. So, um, so yeah, I guess he's, he's been the one that's been a pleasant surprise. Um, the only thing I would say is that perhaps in games like yesterday, like against City, the games where we're up against a team that is going to have a lot more of the ball, perhaps he's not quite as effective just because I feel perhaps someone like Benteke would be good at um, roughing up the centre-backs a little bit more, winning those headers, getting you further up the pitch. But otherwise, yeah, can't really complain. IU has very much surpassed everyone's expectations. And I think everyone would agree now from a Palace perspective that he has earned the right to start as, start as our striker ahead of someone like Benteke. Yeah, Tottenham, season long, you'd probably have to say um, Eric Lamella, but now he's hurt again, just as he was starting to really prove his worth again. Uh, it seems to be his career trajectory, unfortunately. Um, <clears throat> but with him gone, I think plaudits have to go to Paulo Gazaniga. I know we've had some pretty disappointing results. I think just the one Premier League clean sheet, which I got to assume is the worst in the league. Um, but he's making loads of saves. Um, the the defense in front of him has been rotating and not great. Um, and I think he's done a really, really good job. There was a point where uh, basically I found out he was already like 27 or 28, whereas previously for some reason I thought he was like an up-and-coming prospect at goalkeeper. It's like, oh, he's a, he's a whole grown man. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, he has been playing very admirably. And I don't know how much longer Hugo Lloris will be at a at the top level. It already feels like maybe he's taken a step down, and who knows what the result will be um, after this uh, horrible elbow injury. Allegedly supposed to come back still this season. Kind of believe it when I see it. Um, when you hear about all the things that got shredded in that elbow and it dislocated, it's just doesn't sound good um but we'll see but regardless i think we're in safe hands uh, about as good as anybody else's backup goalkeeper in the league um now that burnley doesn't have seven um so uh, <laughs> i think i think i think we'll be just all right and, and credit to gazaniga for being ready to step up when he was needed all right usually we do a little bit of match previews but we got the international break coming up so don't even worry about that but thanks to you guys so much for coming on. If you'd like to tell folks where they could find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks as always for, for listening. I've been Jamie Smith talking about Burnley, and I don't have a job at the minute, so if anyone wants to give me a job, that'd be nice. I'm on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sports. Yeah, cheers for listening, guys. I'm Sam. I'm a Crystal Palace fan. You can find me at Sam double underscore carp on Twitter, or you can find some of the stuff I write on the Eagles Beak fan site, starting with a five things we learned about Palace losing 2-0 to Chelsea this weekend, which will be up on Tuesday. Definitely be sure to check that out. Also, yeah, give Jamie a job, <laughs> you jerks. Um, I'm Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at KevRuff. I still write fantasy every now and again. I also do some live match commentaries for Omnisport, but if you look them up, I don't think you'd find it. So, Anyway, go check out those guys' stuff. Uh, but thanks to you guys so much again for coming on. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.